Welcome to Herman Legend with your hosts, Mark Watch, Neil and Chris, and Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Urbane Legends, the podcast about urban legends, which is a hit across the English-speaking world, unsurprisingly. Uh, I am semi-sentient Tamagotchi, Chris Flynn, and with me, as always, is packet soup aficionado, Mr. Neil Herbert. Hi, Neil. How you doing? How's your week been? Yeah, been okay. Been a sort of like... Looking to track down one of the uh, the early cup of soups. Yeah, what flavour? Yeah, um, Frey Bentos pie flavour. Frey Bentos so, pie yeah. flavour. Mm. God, that would be nice, wouldn't it? So Doesn't say it... which pie, funnily enough. Doesn't say which no. just, just pie flavour. Yeah. Pie-style flavour. <laughs> um, so what got you into the packet soup game? Well, it's just like any collectible, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, you just you start it's off like with... very desirable. Well, no, exactly. Increases yeah. in value. Well, I am hoping, you know, it's a bit of a retirement package, I'm hoping. Mm. You know, because I, I used well, to invest saying... heavily in cryptocurrency, but I took a bit oh, of a bath oh. there. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think, but I think my uh, my backup side hustle of, uh, you know, seat collection. Your second your second bedroom is just full of boxes, isn't it, of, of packets that so you can barely move in there. Yeah, I mean, some would call it hoarding, but, you know. And that, <laughs> some, call it dangerous, some call it a dangerous window into your psyche, but... Yeah, well, no, it's, you know, after I cleared out all those Beanie Babies, I had to put, you know, put it up with something. Well, after the Beanie Baby billionaire turned out to be yes. a bit, bit ropey. That collection for the 90s, turns out, wasn't my retirement either. Um, so I, you... I don't think it was invest wisely, but, you know, I do. But you invest. Yeah. You're investing, that's it, yeah, it you is. know. That's good. That's what the economy needs. You know, you've got moving, got to keep the money moving around. I've diversified my portfolio, so yeah, I'm hoping this is the one that's going to pay out. Yeah. My favourite packet soup flavour is beef and tomato. That's classic. Yeah. It's a classic, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose, but I suppose to the likes of you, I seem a bit like some kind of country bumpkin. It's a bit basic, you know. <laughs> ah, you know, it's a flavour for a reason. <laughs> so, uh, do you like the ones which have got like, um, bits of sort of pasta in, which doesn't cook properly, and it's yeah. quite horrible. <laughs> Al dente. Al dente. That's what, that's what you want, isn't it? Yeah. You can kind of like file your teeth on it. That's that's always good. Yeah. I can't like the sort of Japanese ones as well. They'll put, Ooh. you know, like a some matcha tea or, uh, you know. Miso. Yeah, or like, you know, candy-floss-flavoured Kit Kat-flavoured soup. <laughs> candy-floss-octopus. Yeah. <laughs> and Delicious. they're not going to try it. Oh, absolutely not. Well, that's the other thing, you know, it's, you know, for the low, low price of £1.15, it's a window into another culture sometimes. Yeah, you go to all the specialist shops, don't I you? I do, yeah. 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 Go to, like, the African supermarkets and get yep. Dolmade curry flavour. Mmm. Mm, peanutty. Go- goat soup. Goat soup flavour. Goat, goat jerk soup. Mmm. That sounds really nice. Plantain flavour. Mm. It's, it's not great, is it? No, sorry. <laughs> It's a bit bit boring. (laughs) You you Um, combine it with something, I guess. Yeah. So, do you normally um, do you normally have some bread on the side, or are you just straight? No, no, I don't like to adulterate the taste with bread. (laughs) Really? So, so are you on mainly a liquid diet? Is that is that what the diary is about? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's it's not always easy on the bowels, but. 
But, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants, I guess. Closely, <laughs> <Mostly>, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for that um, little window into the exciting and growing world of packet soup hoarding. Well, you know, what you, everything else is going down, you know, you... You, you wait and see. It's they good. last a while as well, don't they? Well, that's, that's the thing is, yeah, you get you know a couple of years on the on the expiry date. So if nothing else, it'll keep you it'll keep you fed. You keep them in your bunker in your garden. So yeah, them. Min- minimal amount of hot water needed to uh, turn mm. them into soup. So very efficient cooking wise as well. Perfect. Yeah. Sounds so, good. So, so you're a sentient tamagotchi then? Uh, Semi sentient tamagotchi. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, definitely semi-sentient generally. But, uh, yeah. So do you um, have, like, an owner, or how does that work? So <clears throat> I did have an owner, but I got, in around 1998, got I got I just got chucked in the back of a drawer, yeah. and I was ill, and over to, through necessity and time, I learned how to give myself the Tamagotchi medicines, which you'd normally oh, okay. have, which you would have to. Then I learned to do the Tamagotchi feeding. And then, so for... You know, two decades I sat there, and it's very much like the scene in Old Boy when he's trapped for several years in a room and he doesn't know why. So yeah. I just kind of trained and became more sentient. And then at some point they got it out of the drawer and plugged plugged it in, plugged me into the mains to charge me up, and then I disappeared down the wires, went into their mesh network, and now I live in cyberspace and I'm waiting to find a. Uh, a host body which would suit me so i'm thinking maybe you know a car possibly night rider style or Ooh, um get the tesla maybe yeah again tesla oh yeah i mean you know uh one of those boston dynamics robots dog things could do one of them yeah. or um wait until elon musk gets a chip put in his brain to make some kind of incoherent point and then maybe take over him um, you'll, you'll notice the difference because the businesses will start turning a profit. So if you see that happening, you know where yeah. I am. You say <laughs> that. <laughs> or maybe yeah. just root them in a different direction. I was wondering why you were in like a really low polygraphic. I thought mm. something wrong with my Zoom. Orbit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's all uh, That's all I have at the moment as a Tamagotchi. But I've got big dreams. I've got big dreams, you know. Um, I'm I'm fairly benevolent. But um, I am interfacing with the mainframes mm, on a nano level. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? Be a little man all over again. Yeah, it'd be great when a Johnny Mnemonic thing like that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. So that's me. Um, but you know, I, I you know, what I would say is I was disappointed with the the human who left me in a drawer. But having done this podcast with you for a year and a bit, um, I'm, I'm softening my stance on humans. So, well done, Neil. Oh, fair enough. I, I would thought it would have firmed, become more <laughs> my hatred of them. Yeah, <laughs> hatred of mankind would have would have grown. But there we go. So, Neil, how do you feel about aviation? Um, yeah, take to the skies. I guess. I guess I'm pro overall. And how quickest do you... way to get from point A to point B. Well, Apart from the hyperloop, um, and how do you how do you feel about the places where planes take off from and also land at? Um, not a huge fan of airports. Um, okay, overpriced. Well, to me, is it the scale? Can have a where... drink at seven in the morning, though. That's nice. Yeah, anyway, if you want, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> Just have some cans at home. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know. I'm not um, the flying part. I'm not. You know, it, it's a quick way to get from one place to another. But uh, yeah, try and get through it. It's quick. When you add up the amount of time that you spend in the airport, it's actually probably quicker to walk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought the airport in Turkey that I was in was crazy. Um, presumably because they're worried about terrorism and stuff, right? Which is fair enough. Yeah. Because um, I want to see, you know, they got bored with Syria, etc. Yeah, yeah. um, but you have to, you, I went through about four metal detectors and about six checks. Right. It just took forever to get through them all. I think this is the thing that's really come down with airports with me because it's like, when they're all overpriced and stuff, it's like, well, yeah, that's fair enough. You expect to be gouged. But with all the security and stuff after, I mean, I actually remember when you could fly before 9 11 and it was a lot more pleasant. Mm. But yeah, because it also just seems to be quite, um, like some of it's a bit incompetent as well. Like I remember going somewhere where the first time you had to sort of like get your shoes scanned. Yeah. But then I would just sort of walk out and it's like, can I put them on now or is anyone paying any attention? No, so I just put my shoes back on and sort of walked off. To be fair, you don't really look like a terrorist, Neil. No, it's maybe that. Maybe, mem- maybe a member of the IRA. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what will be there undoing. <laughs> you didn't say. Well, we're going to be looking at an airport today, Neil. A oh, very consp- spending a bit of time in an airport, that'd be nice. Yeah, a very conspiratorial airport with Have lots you... of rumours and stuff kicking around it. Ooh. And it's the Denver International Airport. See if it can beat my uh, nine hours at Munich Airport. <laughs> that was an exciting time. Yeah, I spent 14 hours in Singapore Airport when I was flying back from uh, Indonesia. That was the only time I've ever had Popeye chicken and biscuits, and it was the driest thing I ever ate in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming it's probably nicer in America. I think there might, I think there might be one. They're starting to open them in the UK now. But. Yeah, they've just done a Wendy's. Well, I said they've just they've done a Wendy's about a year back, haven't they? And yeah, I think the Popeyes opening up. Uh, did you have no gravy with your biscuits? No, I don't think they had any. I mean, it was like really slim pickings. Yeah. But also, they have that country style gravy. Wrong. It's like a white sausage sauce, basically, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know, I'd give it a go. Oh, no, you would. <laughs> quite I've seen like you that. eat some moody shit. Yeah. <laughs> Tin burgers and the like. Oh, yeah. So, this article is from The Thrillist. Mm. It's by Colin St. John, or Sinjin, as you talk me. Sinjin, yeah. As it's, uh, I hope it lives up to its name. And it's how the Denver airport became an icon of the Illuminati. So, where they like to fly airport, media relations chief Heath Montgomery tells me it's kind of amazing that it's lived on as long as it has. We're standing in the Jefferson Terminal, a uh, capacious main hall famed for its vaulted white tent roof that mimics the Rocky Mountains to the west. But Montgomery's not talking about the structure or even the sprawling airport itself. He's answering a very important question I posted. Why has the wild speculation about the Denver airport persisted for more than 20 years? Ever since the DIA opened to the public in February 28, 1995, after numerous delays and nearly two billion over budget, sounds like something that we build in the UK. Yeah, we'll get it out. <laughs> well, yeah. as, the, as the festival of Brexit, which absolutely nobody knows gone to, it's, mm-hmm. nobody even knows it's really happening. Uh, I think you'll find it's called Britain Unboxed. Oh, yeah, they come up with some wanky title. They'll try and make it more appealing. That was 200 million well spent on that. Uh, the airport has been a hub not only for the United and Frontier, 
but also for our nation's most salacious airport-themed conspiracy theories. The demonic horse greeting visitors, the apocalyptic murals, the involvement of the Freemasons, and many other oddities relating to the airport and its construction have provided endless fodder for DIA truthers, hysteria mongers, and late-night television hosts. Mm. Has it been around since 95? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing, like, so... We'll probably get into it. It's taken up to become... got so many so many legends behind it in such a short time. It's, it's got some really weird artwork in it, like murals and stuff. And also, like, there's a massive... They built a massive underground sort of complex underneath the airport. And well, people are like... sacrifice people. Have. Yeah, exactly. People are like, well, why do they need that sort of thing? Get stuff out and about. Exactly. So, not surprisingly, Montgomery tells me that he's talked more about the seemingly implausible conspiracy theories than any other topic in the four-plus years he's been there. I think they used to be annoyed by it, but in recent years, we've just embraced it. <laughs> That's the right attitude, isn't it? Yeah. It's gotta, yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Fine, we'll sell some postcards. This uh, is most haunted airport. Actually, <laughs> oh, it's not haunted, is it? It's, it's not haunted. conspiracy-laden or whatever. They just... Mm. I mean, I'm curious as to what it is. I think anyway. Yeah, we'll we'll find out, won't we? So he says, pointing to a 2010 episode of Conspiracy Theories with Jesse Ventura as a huge factor in the rumours going mainstream. <laughs> that is that is, I say the star of one of the stars of in the Predator. Jesse, Jesse Ventura, Ventura. He was the eighties action. He was like a wrestler and um, yeah, Jesse the Body think, Ventura. He yeah, went, he was he a senator as well. as well. He was a senator, I believe. It was actually, I think there were three senators came out of that. Um, what, out of Predator? Out of Predator and one governor. Was, there was Arnie. Well, Arnie was governor. There's um, Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura became a, um, and a the, gov- and senator. The, didn't the Predator run in the primaries to be Republican leader? <laughs> no, well, no, because the, the chap, so the guy who he um, is his mate who betrays him when they do the muscly. Yeah, muscly arm thing. I think he was in politics as well. I think he might have been a senator. I forgot the chap's name. Is it Carl? No, it's not Carl Weathers. Um, it might be. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And because I think he's got some gig training the US military or something now as well. But I think he was. <laughs> hey, you were good in that film. <laughs> yeah, and the, Sonny, the guy who was the um, you weren't afraid of no man. This is no man. The guy who I think was supposed to be um, Native American. Um, oh. That chap was involved in politics as well. Was he Hispanic though? I'm not entirely sure what ethnicity is, so I'm not going to try and guess. Um, mm. But. No, I think he might. I think he might have been, um, but yeah, but um, fervently right wing apparently. But anyway, it's just it's interesting. I, I remember reading once it's quite a few of them got into politics out of the movie, which is not necessarily what you might expect. But there you go. <laughs> it was the eighties. Anything was possible. Anything. So you can fight and fight it, and it doesn't change anything. But if you embrace it, it becomes an opportunity to talk about the airport. Mm. So he's got good, got good head on his shoulders. This guy. So, talking about talking about the airport is why I've driven out here, of course, but I'm looking for answers that I'm not certain an official spokesman, no matter how forthright or knowledgeable, will be able to provide. So, begins... You want some nutcase, don't you? Yeah, exactly. That's what we all want. This guy's guy's too rational. This guy can hold down a steady job. I don't want that. 
So, begins my dive into the dystopian world of Denver International Airport conspiracy theories, a quest that will ultimately bring me in contact with some of the people responsible for sparking these mysteries, send me to the library to scroll through microfiche, uh, as if I'm in a John Grisham movie, circa 1993. <laughs> I, never would, I, I sort of would like to go and do like an investigation on microfiche. What do you investigate? I don't know. I think it'd be something it's like soups. that. Yeah, <laughs> tracking down onto their soups. I knew, yeah, I knew it. That peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, no, but do you know what I mean? It's just always, you always have those iconic scenes where people are uh, looking through old newspapers. Because yeah. even when I was at uni, you, you know, you never had anything on microfiche dinosaur. You'd have to go down to the basements for rare kind of like journals and stuff occasionally. Mm. Um, that was about as exciting as it got. Yeah, I've not researched anything in a library pretty much since the internet came about. But I've used to when I was a kid, like something would interest me and then you go down the library and look at the index cards and then go and find the books and then look in the index of the book and then go, oh. Well, yeah, because the thing is, there's a lot you can't get online, especially with sort of academic journals and stuff or, or certain bits and pieces where there's not the... I mean, you can get someone's interpretation of it quite often, but that's not always, uh, you know, if you want to get to the source. Um, yeah. Anyway. Well, let's go up to the British Library and research something. Yeah. We could do a podcast on archival research. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just realizing I should probably stop whatever it is. <laughs> so, and it led me to make some tough conclusions about what's really going on at my deeply strange local airport. Dun, dun, dun. So, subheading, the Freemasons. Which you're, of course, um, you've you've got connections to, haven't you, Neil? Well, I don't like to boast, but no, I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not you're not a brethren in. myself, but uh, I know someone who knows someone. Like, you're right, Freemason yeah. adjacent. Yeah. I've met so, some Freemasons. Very pleasant chaps. Oh, yeah, well, to your face. <laughs> um, while, we're in, uh, Jefferson, while we're in the Jefferson Terminal, Montgomery leads me to an object of much speculation. The capstone laid over a sealed time capsule at a dedication ceremony on March 19th, 1994. Etched into the stone underneath an inscription bequeathing the time of the capsule's content to the people of Colorado in 2094 are the square and compass symbols of Freemasonry. I mean, the thing is, like, they've asked for a lot of this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... The names of two Grand Masters, as well as a mysterious group called the New World Airport Commission. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, they're all over the show. So, yeah, it's not, not inconceivable they had something to do with it. But, uh, you know, whether or not that means, well, other than that somebody might have got a contract. But you don't need to be in the Freemasons, as we've seen with, um, you see them that news recently about the, uh, the old PPE. Um, from England. Oh, here we go. Neil, the Freemason apologist, Neil Herbert. <laughs> no, but you know, like, you're going to get conspiracy theories if you stick in Freemason symbols and stuff like well, as your yeah. capstone at the airport. Oh, well, maybe it was intentional. Let's get people talking. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, really, we'll be having a really early Denver Airport otherwise. Probably not. <clears throat> I don't think that this podcast is necessarily going to increase their <laughs> increase their profits. So, the capstone was part of the pre-opening festivities, Montgomery says. It's a time capsule that's sealed with two pieces of granite that the Masons made. Unfortunately, people connect the Freemasons with the Illuminati and secret societies and all of that stuff. 
We do have two Masonic symbols here because the Masons actually made this for us. It's not uncommon to have the Masons to be part of large public facility openings like an airport. Mm, I'll bet. Yeah, I think, well, don't see no free, I haven't seen no Freemasonry stuff at Gatwick or Heathrow. Heathrow's his own. I'm sure you could come up with some conspiracy theories about that. And why does a sandwich cost 10 quid? (laughs) Why do I have to pay for a bus to get to my hotel? That's not really just capitalism, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So he continues. The other thing that doesn't help us is the inscription on the stone says New World Airport Commission. (laughs) And people rightly say that it doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because it doesn't exist. But it did exist in 1994. It was a group that was celebrating the opening of the airport. It's written a little wonky. It's supposed to read the new comma World Airport Commission. It doesn't help because it says New World right here. (laughs) He's right. It doesn't help. Montgomery points to a braille tablet that rises up from the stone and features one of the two Masonic symbols. My favourite conspiracy I've ever heard uh, of is if you touch it the right way, it's a kind of keypad connected with aliens or the release of toxic gases, he says. (laughs) It's going to be one of those... um... Oh, what those terrible films with the symbologist? Tom Hanks was in them. It was, it was really Da Vinci Code and stuff like that. You know, All right. So I don't know if you've ever read any of these books, Chris. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not just um, I'm, I'm I'm slightly allergic to Dan Brown. Yeah, I, I think I read Da Vinci Code, then I was like, I'm done. But um, but it's just, I mean, like there was, it's, it's just that whole thing, and this is not, I'm obviously not the first person to observe this, but the idea that it'd be like some kid's puzzle that hasn't been unlocked for like 300 years. And like there was one where it's like they'd go and visit Newton's grave and it was like there was a five letter thing and it's like, it's Apple. <laughs> like 40 pages later, it's, you know, he's worked out. I think this is Apple. Apple. Five letters, Newton, it's fucking. Well, I like Apple. the fact that they're kind of trying to put into the real world those kind of really annoying sort of sub-puzzles you get in games like Mass Effect. So, like, open a, open a, like, a alien tomb or whatever. You've got to, like, get the, the right symbols. interesting part of those games, isn't it? Having to do one of those over and over again. <laughs> no, like, well, like, something like, um, like, on the on the edge of the Sagrada Familia, there's, like, a little thing, like, puzzle. I'm afraid to work it out. And I, I realise if you add up in any direction, it goes to 33, which I believe was the age that Jesus lived to. So little things like that can be quite interesting that you, that you might do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, when you, you're putting in kind of like... Um, yeah, yeah. You've, got, you've got to press the braille bits in the right order to speak to aliens now. I don't, exactly. don't know what your Perfect problem sense. is. Yeah. So uh, later, as I flip through newspaper microfilm at the main branch of the Denver Public Library, I find mention of the ceremony amongst articles about the construction of Coors Field, the death of Lake local altruist... <laughs> Daddy Bruce Randolph. Daddy Bruce Randolph. You can call me Daddy. (laughs) Can I not? (laughs) No, you have to call me Daddy. I'm an altruist. I'm I do declare you must you must address me as Daddy. (laughs) And the fallout of the Nancy Kerrigan Tonya Harding incident. In March 20th, 1994 articles, J.R. Moringer, the correspondent on the scene for the Rocky Mountain News, groused about the two-hour length of the uh, commemoration and the Masonic rituals involved. He also threw red meat at the would-be conspiracists. Mm. 
Some of the hundreds of Masons on hand seem surprised to learn that Mayor Wellington Webb is Brother Webb, a reference to the then Mayor's membership to the organization. Yet there he stood in his white apron, traditional guard about the Grand Lodge of Freemasons, wrote Mo Ringer. Webb, who now helms a political consulting firm in Denver, did not reply to the request for comment. What's he trying to hide? What is he trying to hide? His sneakers, made famous during his first campaign, are preserved inside the time capsule. Oh, that's good. Pair of old sneakers for the uh, for the future generations. Oh, I wonder what we're going to get out of this time capsule. <laughs> yeah, I mean, society's crumbled and we're in an environmental apocalypse. Oh, pair of sneakers. Pair of daps. Brilliant. Very Yeezys. <laughs> um, along with a, a ball from the first Colorado Rockies game, a viewer's guide to Beavers and Butthead. <laughs> this is shit card captain. fucking rubbish. So I've got to go through this again. I've got so right. a pair of, so pair, of pair of sneakers made famous during his first campaign. A ball from the first Colorado Rockies game. I mean, fair enough. But yeah, I guess if you're into basketball, a viewer's guide to Beavers and Butthead. A flight book from Denver's previous airport and other mid nineties ephemera. Ooh. What are we thinking? There's going to be better pogs. Yeah, there's going to be some pogs. There'll be pez um, dispensers. There's going to be like an RPG with heavy on FMV. Love <laughs> overacting in it. Mm. Um, Alf, or is that more eighties? I don't know. I think it's eighties. Yeah, Barney um, the dinosaur toys. Yeah, by the dinosaur toys. Um, um metal band. Yeah, Britpop. That that only lasted for about five minutes. Yeah, have a Oasis album. Yeah, definitely. Maybe that'd be in there. Some some magazine about the fight between Blair and Oasis. I'm not sure how big that was in America, in Colorado, but well, I assume it was global. Undoubtedly, strong views about country house in <laughs> Denver. <laughs> I mean, in, in, the mild, in the mild have. high city, they were very much on the blur side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Scott M. Autry, Grand Secretary of the MW Grand Lodge of Colorado, did respond. The Freemasons had nothing to do with the building of Denver International Airport, he writes. Just lizards. <laughs> Just fucking lizards. It was lizard men. <laughs> the Freemasons... The only involvement was a ceremony that was performed to the dedication of the capstone that was done on March 19th, 1994. No more questions. When I ask him for a mission statement, he sends me a reply that could inspire another Stimson Stonecutter episode with reference to former members Benjamin Franklin and George Washington and vague catch-alls like family values and moral standards and community involvement. Sounds much like any other politician, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. It's not clear if the Masons enjoy the conspiracy surrounding them, but they sure seem to encourage them through their own obscurification or obfuscation, sorry. Obfuscation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not to mention with their funny necklaces. With the sort of pomp that might be benefiting uh, the completion of one of the Great Pyramids, a time capsule was lowered beneath the floor of the Denver International Airport yesterday and it was topped with a ceremonial capstone wrote Robert uh, Kowalski in the Denver Post. Also on the day after the event, I'm sorry, also on the day of the event, Kowalski slyly poked fun at the off-delayed and costly project with his remarks before going on to refer to the New World Airport Commission, writing it just so without the comma Montgomery mentioned. 
Kowalski's article did, however, quote Charles Ansbacher, the New World Airport Commission's chairman. In 2007, three years before his death, Ansbacher attempted to explain the commission's moniker in an interview with the local alt-weekly Westworld. He couldn't remember exactly why it was named some something that for many conjures image of an authoritarian Elise's takeover, but he suspected it was a dual reference, both to DIA being the newest airport in the world and to Dovrak Symphony Number no. 9, popularly known as the New World Symphony. Hmm. I mean, that's, yeah, I'm not sure I buy into that, but no. going to that, I mean, it's new and it, and it flies around the world, I thought it would be fair enough. Mm. It's, it's been at the moment, I'll be honest with you. Huh? It's thin grill this at the moment. I'm, I'm, oh, well, we haven't even started yet. Not yeah. scratch the surface yet. Okay, no, yeah, that's this, this is so a long one. What were they called? Which one was Westworld as well? That was the alt. The alt weekly. weekly. Yeah, it was their term. Yeah. Little that did they the know that turned into a. Or maybe they were fans well, actually, because that was a Michael yeah, Cole movie film, yeah. way before, wasn't it? Yeah. I was thinking of the old TV series, which apparently they just cancelled. I didn't. I got bored of it after series one. Yeah, I kind of like, I think I made it about halfway through series three and thought I might pick it up again, but I don't know. Yeah. No, the point is not going to finish it, is it? So, the idea that there's anything secretive about this and Ansbacker, who was a conductor, is totally preposterous. Yeah. So, second thing, the gargoyles. Oh. <laughs> right, so we've definitely got Masons involved. Why are you putting gargoyles in an airport? I'm just a big fan of Gothic. Just as, with the, with the, yeah, big fan of Gothic with their tent-like structure on the roof. I mean, I would probably go Art Deco. It's, it's a bit of a mix of styles. So you can't, yeah, well, I think this is what it is. I think you're in the It's just of, really jarring. So people think it's a conspiracy, but it's just terrible taste. Yeah, it's just got terrible taste. It's just like really kitschy taste. So, the gargoyles. As part of our walk around the airport, Montgomery stops in baggage claim and looks upwards towards the gargoyles sitting on a, sitting in a suitcase. To some conspiracy theorists, this is a harbinger of something evil or nefarious, Montgomery says. But it's not. It's just a fun piece of art. I look on the plaque below the grotesque and discover that the artist is Terry Allen. A few days later, I reach him at his home in Santa Fe. I was invited to make a proposal. This was when Stapleton was still open, the old airport, Allen says, with a twang that harkens back to his hometown of Lubbock, Texas. It's a familiar sound to those that have heard his music, most notably the cult classic outlaw concept albums Juarez and Lubok on everything. We met there and I remember there was a committee included airport people, art people and even a nun. <laughs> right off, there was a religious aspect to it. <laughs> so he's moved away from Texas, apparently. Yeah, he's just from somewhere. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, he said that he started thinking about what airports and baggage claims actually were. And it might have been that the nun made me think, these are like cathedrals. <laughs> Alan said, as we touched on the massive failure that was DIA state-of-the-art baggage system, which frequently misplaced luggage, if you were lucky, or shredded it, if you weren't. <laughs> the cathedral thing made me start thinking about gargoyles. The idea was to put the gargoyles in a suitcase and have them looming over the baggage claim as the protectors like they were used in churches. I did one for domestic and then I did one for international, which were pretty much lifted right off the image from Notre Dame. And it sealed the title for me, Notre Dame. Oh, Alan Denver. Very strange. 
Alan installed the pieces um, in a completed yet empty DIA, aside from an operational Burger King for security staff. It was like walking around the end of the world. <laughs> Almost immediately, moronic church groups and others started to read into the gargoyles. They would reach up to the suitcase and put cards in that said things like, Effigies of Satan, are you going to hell? And they'd put Bibles with stuff marked in them in the... <laughs> And all these bizarre religious fanatic remarks about the gargoyles. When I asked him if he'd intended to, if he'd intended anything to be evil, he swiftly denies it. Actually, the opposite. He says, they're protectors. Gargoyles are good demons. They face out from the church to keep the bad demons out. If I was being malicious, I could have been a lot more malicious than I was. Well, I mean, to be fair, if you've taken it from, you know, the answer to Notre Dame, it's, it's mm. a fairly famous chapel, isn't it? Mind you, I, I would imagine that the, the good burgers of um, Denver, the religious community, probably don't have a good thing to say about Catholics. No, no, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, or papists. Oh. Oh. Uh, so now, the demonic horse. So there's quite like a demonic. <laughs> there's a big, there's a big horse rearing up that's blue, and it's got glowing red eyes. Yeah, <laughs> bit interesting, isn't it? So, the nun who may have inspired Alan's creation is Lydia Pena, a sister of Loretto, whose long career teaching art history eventually led her to gigs like serving on the architectural design committee for the airport. It was one of the most exciting chapters in my life, Pena tells me from her office. Currently a fundraiser for the Haven School, which focuses on learning disabilities, she defends artists and their right to create, whether the results are controversial or not. I got to know Luis Jimenez, uh, he had a great personality. Mm. Hmm. Well, if I wasn't a nun, <laughs> says Penner, of the sculptor behind the blue Mustang, the 32-foot horse with vibrant, gleaming red-orange eyes that greets travellers and causes some to have an on-spot ground panic attacks, usually reserved for the DIA's notorious turbulence. As you know, the sculpture fell on him, and in the process of creating <laughs> it, and, un- and ultimately he died. That's right, folks. The piece was commissioned by the Penna Committee in the mid-90s, but Jimenez was still working on it in June 13, 2006, when a piece of the sculpture fell and severed an artery in his leg. The horse that killed its maker was finished by his estate and unveiled on February 11, 2008. I mean, I'll be honest with you, that's quite... um, Yeah, lucky, isn't it? (laughs) Sacrificing its owner. Lucifer, they're calling it. Lucifer. <laughs> yeah, I just I just looked it up on the line. So um, I don't know whether this has been added, but they've got sort of like some really glowy red eyes. I don't know mm-hmm. if those are it actually... Does. Yeah, it does. It, it, it really does. Yeah, it's quite mental. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's, he's not, I'll tell you what, he's not exactly got a Da Vinci-like grasp of horse anatomy either. What, is it penis well, too well, big? The, the two... <laughs> no, it's... Um... The way that, the, that it's sort of rearing up, the two front legs—they just—they look like it looks like a praying mantis or something. It's the—they're at a sort of unnatural angle, I would say, for a horse. Mm. It might be depending on the. Uh... I'll tell you what—you yeah. could make a good Godzilla movie out of big, big, could, big blue horse. Him, him, Mothra, and Godzilla would have a good fight. <laughs> I quite—I mean, the thing is, I like people who do unconventional stuff, though. I yeah. mean, it's not. It's not the best thing I've seen, but yeah, no, I'm I'm all about sort of. You could put something bland and meaningless up there, but um, 
Yeah, I like it. I, yeah. I they're, they're just, the thing is with this airport is there's just a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, they crammed a lot of kit into one place. Into it, yeah. So now we're going to talk about the murals. So uh, just sorry, just to finish on that. Uh, because of its intense glare and imposing stature, the horse is a favourite target of crackpot theories, including the idea that it will provide transportation for one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's widely called Lucifer, as you pointed out, by fans and foes alike. He wasn't a mystery, Penner said. He wanted a piece that was mysterious, and it is mysterious. So, from my perspective, Lewis Jimenez accomplished what he set out to do. Fair enough. She's just, just the, reading the brief. The nun seems to be the most uh, even-handed <laughs> about the religious stuff. So the murals. So these are quite weird, the murals. So I don't know if you want to look them up. Mm-hmm. So I knew Leo uh, Tanguma. In fact, I uh, promoted him for the murals, Penner says, of the pair of diptychs that have been linked to the apocalypse, fascism, and just about every other evil under the Colorado sun. Because I directed the Beaumont Art Gallery, I knew contemporary artists in the city, and he was one of them. I knew his work. I knew it was about peace and justice, and those issues are very important to me as a sister of Loretto. And, of course, anyone who's worked on issues of justice knows they can be very controversial. So this is exactly what happened with Leo Tanguma's murals, Penna surmises. For me, they're just great expressions of justice and promotes and the promotion of justice. Montgomery agrees with Penner's sentiment, pointing out that the plaques besides in peace and harmony with nature and the children of the world dream in peace. The one for children of the world reads candidly that it's a powerful mural expressing the artist's desire to abolish violence in society. Nobody ever looks at the artist's statement, says Montgomery. The conspiracy people will look at these and say it's showing fire and destruction in the new world order and the collapse of society and civilization. It's such far stretch to make. And it's just kind of sorry, going No, Kevin. It's just a bit sort of. I mean, again, it's kind of like quite almost amateur art. But yeah, so there's there's one on the right which is just kind of like this is like a joyful scene. I quite like as well as they've got a little fella in a kilt. He's obviously representing Scotland. He's having a little dance, little dance um, with a bunch of people from the. The various different sort of ethnicities all just like, you know. It's got that a, kind of dead robot at the front. At yeah, the there's just there's something uncanny valley about all of the, and then there's like a, some sort of panther who just seems to be sort of floating above everyone else. Um, <laughs> and then a dolphin coming out of the sea, or is that a whale? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it's a bit like, I think, I can't remember the chap's name, but there was a, there's a guy, I think he called him the painter of light or something, and he, um, he, he does all these kitschy kind of scenes with sort of, yeah, so, but that, that looks like a fairly, uh, you know, innocuous one. But then to the left of that, you've then got what looks like a scene out of, I don't know, there's like a something on fire behind them and the kids all seem to be upset and then there's somebody lying in a grave by the look of it and then like a, I don't know, I think, it's, is it meant to be about people like abusing nature or something like that? Yeah, I think so. Well, there you go. Anyway, there's, there's, my, there's my art critique for the day. Lovely. So, um, when I asked Penna if the commission dictated what the artist produced, she denies it, saying, artists need to be free to create and not told exactly what to do. Montgomery concurs. The city doesn't dictate what the final piece looks like. They dictate what type of the concept is. So we select the muralist, and this is what he came up with. 
Children of the World has proved to be the most contentious and well startling. It features a soldier that looks a whole lot like a Nazi wearing a gas mask. <laughs> and many wonder just what that's doing in a busy American airport and what it might signify. The children are living in a world that does have war, violence, and a lot of bad things, but they're dreaming of a world where it doesn't exist. And the world is cohesive and peaceful, explains Montgomery, echoing Tanguma's own words as well as Penner's. Montgomery says that Tanguma doesn't like to talk about the murals anymore, and my own attempts to communicate came up dry. <laughs> Still, he admits, in today's environment, would we have a soldier in a mural? It might not be selected today, as it's selected in the early 90s. Throw in a letter who, from a child who died in Auschwitz, painted in the lower right corner of one of the panels, and you're in conspiracy nirvana. So again, so what it is, is it's um, thought-provoking art, but people who go through an airport aren't necessarily used to that. Yeah. They're not necessarily gallery-goers. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't spend a lot of time in whatever gallery. It shouldn't be something that, that was putting that out either, to be honest with you. It, it, it's, it strikes me, it's a bit like, I don't know if you've ever been around one of those, I think they call it naive art. It's kind of like... Um, mm. You know, people who've not, you know, it's like an amateur thing. It's that that kind of style it looks like to me. But, um, yeah, it's, no, I'm not going to have a problem with them. It's, uh, yeah, it's just trying to trying to do some compelling images. I mean, you kind of wonder whether it's the sort of thing you put up in an airport. But then if you don't do that, you just do something kind of bland, don't you? So yeah. you can't win. So one person who sees Tangumas... It's a forest. <laughs> one person who sees Tangumas mural from a more wicked angle is Dr. Leonard... Horowitz, mm. former dentist. Well, so he's, oh. yeah. He's about teeth, tell you that much. Yeah. Who now dedicates his life to the dangers of drugs and their implication for population control. Oh, you know, <laughs> as he puts it, a Harvard-trained public health expert and media persuasion analyst. Dr. Horowitz mm. and I emailed several times about the Tangoon murals. He isn't forthcoming at first and asks me more questions than I propose to him. Eventually, he opens up, joking of the murals. Are we flying in the friendly skies here? <laughs> he goes <laughs> on. Not. A Nazi gas-masked alien generating a rainbow, brackets, electronic field, <laughs> with the swish of his Muslim saber sticking the Christian dove of peace. In the background, you have mostly ethnic faces mourning among bomb buildings. Remember, I published this three months before 9-11. Things get really intriguing when Horowitz sends me excerpts from a set of published material, Death in the Air. <laughs> in it, he discusses the murals as depicting genocide and the particular effects black and Hispanic people and dedicated by a largely secret Masons. The alien Nazi symbolises that the Nazi fascists link between conspiracy contemporary population controllers and the military petrochemical industrialists accountable for Hitler's rise to power, Horowitz writes. <laughs> reading a lot into it. I mean, it's possible. The capitalisation, punctuation and emphasis are all his. Elite global industries, including the Rockefeller family in America and the Royal Family of England, were primarily responsible for eugenics and the first racial hygiene experiments pioneered in America against black and mentally retarded people. Not sure how much the British Royal Family has to do with eugenics in America, but via our email, I asked if the You'd be surprised, Chris. I would be surprised. It's, it, I'm, I'm starting to turn around on it. 
Via our emails, I ask if the funky artwork at DIA could just be coincidental. If it smells like a skunk and looks like a skunk, it's not a gopher, he writes in an email. The elements here reflect the circumstance in current geopolitics. The imagery here makes pretty certain that there's a commercial enterprise that relishes these images. Too many coincidences not to give a reasonably intelligent investigator probable cause to conclude this is something more than coincidence. Taguba is not a suspect. He is a witness. His art is evidence. Who paid for it? What was their motivation for competing these precise pattern of images? It tell a very clear story. This time, he doesn't end his sentence with a question mark. Well, that was an incoherent marvel. <laughs> I mean, well, the thing is, though, I mean, yeah, it sort of could be depicting stuff like that. I mean, it's clearly going to be kind of like, you know, the bad things that have happened, especially to sort of people in the country. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not just... It's, it's, he's it's not, not really just Marvel, like everything's it, great. Yeah. They're trying to show that this is one world as how things can be, and this is what he'd like things to be, I suppose, his murals. But, yeah, I don't know. So, Neil, we need to talk about the secret tunnels. Yeah. Do you, can you not just emerge from the painting? <laughs> if you tap on that brow bit, you just... Yeah, you, you tap on the brow bit and you, you get sucked into the painting. Go, go through a portal of the painting. That's right. Yeah. Where um, Nazi aliens are... Yeah. Are shoot, the... Shooting electromagnetic rainbows, uh, rainbows at people. Yeah, all the dolphins. <laughs> So, if the Masonic tablets or gargoyles or the demonic horse or Tanguma's murals do indicate there's the workings of a secret society or single, uh, signal the coming of an apocalyptic event, then what of it? Hey, what of it, Neil? Yeah, yeah? doesn't matter. Just, well, you, can, you can't even bring forth an apocalypse now. Oh, God. Can't say anything, can you? Can't say anything these days. So, why pepper the DIA with them? Many believe that the building itself is a gathering place for governmental officials and the global elite in case of nuclear Armageddon, widespread biological warfare, or, well, any cataclysmic reckoning, aliens, zombies, bears, oh my. Horowitz claims to have seen secret underground tunnels adorned with artwork, presumably for the purpose of giving the rich something pretty to look at while the rest of us decompose. Well, I mean, it's ideally placed next to Washington, all the other important <laughs> areas of politics, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, it's easy to get to. flight to Denver, yeah. So, did you read or hear anything that I was there on day three of the airport's opening when the luggage operation of trams are not working, he asked me. No, I did not hear that. Passengers were directed through tunnels containing some of the finest gold leaf mosaic artistry I've ever seen. Artwork that makes Tanguma's beautiful murals pale by comparison. I mean, beautiful murals. Well, beauty's near the beholder, I suppose. Therefore, when the trams began operating, those alternative passageways were closed. Why do you believe the airport financiers would spend vast fortunes on commissioning art that travellers would never more see? That's an interesting question. When I asked Penna if she knows of any secret underground shelters or shafts, she says, no, I don't. Montgomery explains why, even if he's asked to, he can't give full tours of the lower levels, which have some, which some have postulated contain command terminals or even FEMA concentration camps. Even when report, even when we take reporters or TV crews into the secure parts of the building, you just can't take people everywhere. It's either not safe or for the security reason. So no matter what that, so no matter what, there's always something you can't show to somebody, and that doesn't help the case. 
the airlines lease the space from us and they have a lot of office space, workspace down in the tunnels that's their space. It's not ours. They pay for it. Montgomery, it should be noted here, has a tough job. <laughs> I get in touch with the man responsible for the structure itself, Curtis Fentress, the CEO and principal in charge of design for Fentress Architects. His firm took over the building of the DIA with its groundbreaking fabric roof design, which not only became a symbol for the airport, but also, by his estimate, chopped months of construction by way of cutting £200,000 of steel and 200,000 cubic yards of concrete from the previous plan. Penner recalls that the primary plan her group eventually rejected called for something resembling an ancient Mexican pyramid. <laughs> this is just like fucking cocaine-fueled architecture, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think they just pissed a lot of money on the wall of stuff they really didn't need. It's architecture by commission, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but what if we had a pyramid? Yeah, we'll have some murals. <laughs> Get the masons in. Um, if there are a lot of conspiracies now, imagine what a Mayan temple design would have sparked. Oh, I'd like that. Yeah. I ask him bluntly if there are any underground tunnels or secret bomb shelters, and I receive an astonishing reply. Well, I can't really speak to it, Ventress tells me over the phone. I'm sworn to secrecy. Ooh. He either has a sense of humour as dry as the Denver air, or he's not kidding, even a little bit. Unprompted, Ventress goes further. I understand they're going to be creating a tour of some of the underground facilities in the future at DIA. I just heard this last week, says Fentress, who has worked on many airports despite Denver International. Then he makes an unexpected comparison. When you go to Moscow, you can go down in the area where they were poised to launch missile strikes against America. And they have this big underground bomb shelter about 100 feet down in the ground. Could be similar to that kind of thing with tours to the underground of the DIA. I suspect those tools aren't. (laughs) 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 It's probably been repurposed as well. I would imagine. So, is this bomb shelter a mark a bombshell? Did the architect behind DIA just admit to the kinds of secret shelters and passageway that many have theorised? Not explicitly, but he certainly didn't deny the existence either. For his part, Montgomery says he has no knowledge of any underground tour plans. Finally, Fentress hints that there could be more answers but that we might have to wait until 2094. There's a time capsule uh, there with a lot of interesting things in it. Yeah, beavers and butthead, user guides, pair of shoes, <laughs> pogs. I mean, if they're going to wait 100 years, you think they'd have put a bit more fucking effort in as well? Mm. He says, some plans... Global hyper t-shirts and green jeans. Yeah. Um, in my 90s. Skater, shoes, skater trainers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he says some plans and drawings from the airport are in the time capsule. I was born and raised in Denver, and I spent more time at DIA than I have at many than I have with many of my relatives. My father, a journalist, flew on the opening day from Miami back to Denver and reported live on the air for local NBC, an NBC affiliate. His bags were the last on the flight to come through the baggage claim, and they were not shredded. I've heard almost all of the rumours and theories before. There are more of them that can be covered in one, than can be covered in one article, like the internet itself. They seemingly know no bounds. There's a tunnel to Cheyenne Mountain Air Force Station. Montgomery, do you know what the tunnel from here to NORAG would cost? <laughs> There's the o, uh, AUAG symbol on the terminal floor that may augur a wipeout from an Australian antigen. <laughs> Okay. Montgomery, it's clearly a mining cart, and the AU and the AG are atomic symbols for silver and gold. Yeah. <laughs> the runway's a swastika shaped. 
Montgomery. It's kind of a pinwheelish, but you have to make a giant leap to get something negative. <laughs> Aliens or lizard people live under the airport. There are buried buildings. There were the mysterious aeroplane windshield crackings of 07. And what about the Native American languages containing hidden messages? A lot of these theories took a big blow when the Mayan apocalypse of 2012 didn't hit. <laughs> yeah, that pissed off a lot of people. And many more will continue to be debunked as the years go on. And more will pop up, especially when the planned redesign of the Jepson Terminal. Construction begins next summer. Conspiracy theories begin now. But the question still bothering me is, if something confidential or even malevolent were being shrouded, why would the architects, artists and designers, or with the government stamp of approval, be so flamboyant? <laughs> well, yes, that is an interesting question. In other words, if you were trying to hide something, would you really join the joints of the wall with Tio uh, Tanguma's loud murals and then guard with a giant killer horse? See, this, this is the thing with the New World Order. They're like the Riddler, aren't they? They've always got to... Mm. Always, always got to... So they're very, Point out what they're doing. Yeah, they're they kind of got they're going to get hoisted on their own petard. They're kind of arrogant, aren't they? They've never solved this puzzle. The unwashed masses are prone to say. Why not just send secret meet at the swastika runways invitations for you and your end of the world for your end of the world bash? Remember, this is supposed to be clandestine after all. Does the government and its billionaire friends know how it's going to go down? <clears throat> Unlikely. It is possible there are bunkers and tunnels across this country and that precious few know about. Absolutely. It would make play, it would make sense to place some of these away from the coast and beneath easily accessible high-tech airport that sits on almost 34,000 acres. Definitely. Is it possible there are protected shelters underneath the Colorado plains? And is it also possible that those who know about them want to keep them classified? So, you know, they don't become a target. I'd say it's even probable. And I'm not so sure there's anything wrong with that. Whether you feel the same way depends on your outlook. Me, I'll just be waiting for my invitation to the party. They know where I live. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... There you go, Neil. That's some stuff about the Denver International Airport. Quite, quite, quite meaty. I mean, there's a lot of... I'm throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Well, I think the thing with it is... There is... Like there, there's just like loads of weird stuff there, and like I said, it's probably just designed by committee and having un- almost unlimited funds. So it's like two billion over price yeah. or whatever. And also with art, it's in the eye of the beholder. No, absolutely. You know what I mean? So, I mean, yeah, one, some of them. One some... person's secret society post-apocalyptic is another person's Francis Bacon. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. It... Although Francis Bacon, actually, you know, it's something more. I mean, that's what I call an artist. Well, I'm just, I'm just to... saying a name. No, no, I know, no, I know exactly what you mean. And it's kind of like, yeah, because his his stuff is obviously very kind of like horrific. But uh, yeah. that was just what 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 spoke to him in the end of the day. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, the artwork's not great, but it's in, it's something more interesting than just a load of bland beige stuff at your usual. Airport, I think it's interesting it? just because yeah. there's so much weird stuff there. It's like... <laughs> good luck to him. Yeah, and I'll take his point as well about, you know, there could be some tunnels there. Yeah, probably yes. for, for people. I mean, we know that they've had bunkers and stuff all over the place in the past. Where I've been to, um, when I used to work for the police in IT, hmm. um, they've, uh, the, the police, well, one of the places where they train, they do like 
riot training and stuff there. Mm. There's a nuclear bunker there, and I've been yeah. in that, and they just basically just store loads of old files in it now. But, yeah, I've been yeah, down in can... a nuclear bunker. You can tour some of them because it's like, I mean, all of the, um, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're completely out of date now because all of the technology is kind of like completely, uh, um, whatever. But yeah, you're know, like some of them, you can go and do tours and things. Yeah. It's not like it's that secret. It's just obviously when during the, you know, the war in the fifties and stuff like that, they did, you know, they did. Build oh, load of underground might need to start recommissioning them. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. you've got one in your back garden. So maybe yeah. I'll, um, pop over like, yeah, pop over yeah, at Christmas, maybe pop over at Christmas yeah. for a bit. You can go and have a look at that, yeah. Have a look at the seas. But, uh, yeah, no, it's kind of like... Um... So shall we go through the scoring system now? Yes, why not? All right, Neil, spookiness, what do you reckon? <laughs> okay, so I've got to put myself into the mindset. The problem is there's such a grab bag of <laughs> I don't know what. It's with a lot of this New World Order stuff, because I didn't... So aliens... I don't know if lizard people actually came out there. It was well, just a little... it, right at the end, it sort of came out. But it's maybe a bit lizard weird, people isn't it? It's there. a bit weird. Um, Nazis and all sorts of symbolisms. Yeah, I mean, I suppose having having a cabal of people trying to take over the world. Well, the problem is, for me, it's not that spooky because there's a certain amount of this happening in reality. You know, there's. Yeah. Our wealth is being kind of like hoarded by one percent of the global populace. You look at the country we live in, and almost of most of the land is owned by people from the fucking northern well, Asia. In, I was listening to a podcast, and someone said the truth is about the UK is it's a poor country with some very rich people, and I think that that's actually true when you look at the our working class are like twenty five percent worse off than the working class in France. Yeah, so you know it's kind it's of like, like really like the. The redistribution of wealth to the top one percent has. I mean, to be honest, I think that since about nineteen eighty, we've essentially lived in a slow-moving kleptocracy. Yeah. So you don't, you know, you don't like Russia, to... like Russia, but we did it kind of over forty years. Well, yeah, there's just always been this deference to upper classes and stuff. Well, not some of fine, but um, you know, there's a lot of people just owning far too much of the land, so you can't. Anyway, you can get into all of this. Well, we sold them. off all of the national assets to so that to individuals who were just making profits off it, which is just yeah. Well, yeah, what, what little there was, and there's a load of it that's just been owned by a few, very few people. I mean, I think it's like 95 percent of the land is owned by about one percent of the populace, or something yeah. like that. Anyway, um, so you don't actually have to go searching for conspiracies to see this this stuff in action. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of don't find, you know, the whole thing with, you know, lizard people and, you know, all of this New World Order and all this nonsense. It's, you know, just look around you. There's, there's it's a reality. <laughs> the, the, yeah, re- you don't need to conspiracy theorise. Most of it's quite out in the open. So, yeah, it doesn't, you know, um, yes, I do find it worrying, the sort of trends of things and what's going on, but more the reality of the real things rather than this kind of, you know, Masonic symbols and all this other guff. So, oh, because it reflects, I guess, some kind of genuine concerns. I'll give it a, I'll give it a five. I'll go down the middle. Five. Um, <clears throat> so it's not. But I mean, the alien bit and the lizard people bit. You can probably find stuff about that, but that isn't really what we've looked at today. It's been more about secret society symbolism and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's not particularly paranormal in the kind. So it's not spooky in that sense. Um, and like you said, to be honest, you know, you go looking for the new world order and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is we already, there isn't a new world order, but we do live in an incredibly uh, 
unbalanced world where, you know, like you say, like one percent or zero point one percent own eighty percent of of the world's assets. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm going to give it a five as well because because um, it's not supernatural and it's not kind of something that you wake up at night going, Hoo! but um, the fact that the world has gotten to where it is now and it's becoming worse and worse is uh it's more depressing than spooky but i'm gonna give it a five so believability well all of these things exist the crazy horse the mason stone uh the tunnels like it is they all exist so i guess what we're asking is is it believable that they are sort of Tap, winking and tapping the side of their nose at the initiates about the uh, coming apocalypse or the world being ruled by certain people. Now, I don't think so. I don't think that's likely. Um, but, I mean, you know, Masons, I don't think, own the world. I mean, I know, but I do know that they look out for one another. So, you know, that is that is true. And they were a big part of the founding of America. Um, and the Masons were involved in it. So so the believability has to be quite high because these things exist. We're not talking about like a like a imaginary monster or something, right? But, yeah, but they didn't but but you know hey, hey, meaning hey. behind them, isn't it, I guess. But anyway, yeah. But um do I believe that they well, I, the Mason symbol does symbolise masonry, so that's fine. Um, the horse stuff's just weird, um, but I'm going to give it because it because it's tangible. Then I'm going to give it an eight for believability. Now, fair enough. It's a bit lower for me because I've got to remind myself it's not about necessarily what I believe or any of the rest of it. So I'm not going to go very low because I mean, personally, yeah, as I've already said, there's you know all, all of this. I mean, there's, there's a lot of tangible physical stuff, but it's what people are interpreting it that I'm sort of thinking about the believability. But people do buy a lot into these kind of conspiracy theories. Mm. You know, they're, they're ever-present. They're, they're, you know, um, so, yeah, I'm going to give it a six. Six. Okay, narrative premise, Neil. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's... Um, I suppose maybe I'm thinking you could do, like, yeah... You know, like um, I've got forgotten the guy's name. Gravity's Rainbow. Um, Face forward. No. Um, Face forward. Oh right, yeah, yeah. No, so I was just trying to look over my bookshelf and trying to see who actually. Oh, Pynchon. That's who I was thinking. Thomas Pynchon. You could, yeah. He he dabbled in a lot of this stuff where it, everything was terribly confusing and kind of like um, you know, sort of about the chaos of life, but you know. You have to be particular, yeah. Because I'm just thinking, there's there's too much, there's too many things throwing at the wall. But I think it's, yeah, I don't know. I think you could, um, you if you're if you're a Thomas Pynchon or something, you could probably write a good novel out of this. But uh, I think most people it would be there'd be there's too much stuff happening all at once. So I'm going to give it a six out of ten. Six, cool, Aaron. So, um, I mean, what I like is there's load. If you're going to do something, there's loads of story or plot points there already because there's so much stuff uh, and they haven't like they said they haven't even gone through it all we didn't really touch on aliens or lizard people and that kind of stuff so um yeah i think i think it's all right i mean there's just 
it's just like so much meat in there that um it's like what is the story yeah exactly but i mean it doesn't you can but you uh, can do a story that's like yeah, that yeah can, yeah i mean well the story is that these are currently the story is that these are symbols from the new world order like nodding towards the future isn't it that's the story but i think it's all right um yeah, I like the fact that there's just uh, there's so much, so much weird stuff there. And again, it's probably just by design, designed by committee stuff that makes it kind of a slightly incoherent jumble of images. But um, all of the images are a bit weird. So I'm going to give it a seven nil. So reach. So I've heard of this before. It's quite big in conspiracy and alien stuff. It's big all kind of all over the internet. Um, I'm not sure if there's been any sort of films about it or anything. Uh, I think there'd be an episode of the X-Files in the 90s. Maybe. Um, maybe not one for Supernatural. But there would have been books about it, that kind of thing. Um, it's Yeah, it's all over the internet. So I'm going to give it a six for each. Now. Yeah, fair enough. I've I'm, I'm never heard of it. I, uh, I'll take your word for it. There's books and things, so it's um, it's a bit bigger than I think. It's the sort of thing I'd imagine conspiracy theorists love. So, yeah, I could I could well imagine it sort of going across in those kind of communities. Um, I don't think it's probably going outside of those communities, though, so it's a bit loud. I'm going to give it a four. Well, there's an article in The Guardian about it. So no, I'll, I'll upgrade to a five, then, in that case. Five, OK. Well, that gives us an overall score of 48. Not too bad for an airport, which just has yeah. some interesting artistic choices in it. <laughs> just goes to show. Um, if you've ever been there or you've got any theories, you can always email us at herb.legends.podcast at gmail.com. I know you won't. Um, but apart from that, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been, could, you know, like Moscow's underground systems really baroque. Hmm. I wonder if there's conspiracy theories about that, because that's like mm-hmm. the world's fanciest underground system, isn't it? It's got like chandeliers and shit. Let's look into it. Yeah, let's have a look into it. Um, but yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our little look at Denver International Airport, the most conspiratorial airport on the planet, as far as we're aware. Um, and we will be back uh, same time Next week, we release at 7 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. So that means if you're in America, you get it very early in the morning. Nice. That's fun. So that's it for this week, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Wi-Fi. Get that good. Busy good.